Well, today we are continuing our series on fake news, the myth of the devil. Last couple of weeks, we looked at how Satan tempted Adam and Eve with his fake news that they could be like God. And then last week, we also looked at what's going to happen to Satan when once and for all he's defeated by Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to look at what we should do as believers in between. From the time when man fell in the garden till the time when Satan is put away for good, what should our actions be as Christians? Zechariah chapter 3, beginning, begin reading at verse number 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand I plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And God answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, God said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now we need to understand, folks, that we are not mere victims of circumstance. Nothing happens by coincidence, but in fact, our steps are orchestrated and ordered by the Lord. We have a thinking, intelligent God who has a mind towards us, and he is concerned about us. Then on the other hand, in contrast to that God, we have an enemy, an assassin who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy us. Now, if we don't recognize that we truly have an enemy that works against us, There'll be those times when we face trouble that we can blame God for things he simply did not do. How many times do we hear when there's a tragedy, people saying, how could God let that happen? And even as Christians, there are times we can find ourselves in a situation where we begin to say, Lord, if you're really God... If you really love me like you you say that you love me, why did you allow this to happen to me? Now, I know you might not say that outwardly. Yeah. But inwardly, when you go through certain levels of pain, sometimes it's easy to become confused. And we wonder, how can a loving God let me go through this kind of crisis? Well, part of the problem and part of the reason is because the church has become so timid in talking about our opposition from the wicked one. It's like we have forgotten 1 Peter 5, 8 that says, Your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
Friend, listen to me. Satan is both vicious and malicious. He is loud. He is tenacious, moving in and out of the earth, just looking for ways that he can destroy us. And if you don't believe that there is a real devil, you are in for a lot of problems. Satan is alive, and his sole purpose is to destroy your faith in God. Now, the thing is, if we thought too much about that, we'd become so fearful, we wouldn't get out of the covers, much less get out of the house. But I want you to know the thing that gives me grace to stand as a Christian is to understand that I have a big, big defender who fights for me. And it helps me to know that Satan is not an equal opposite to God, that he has limited and restricted areas as to what he can do and where he can go. You see, because it's in the book of Job where we see that, yes, Satan does roam through the earth looking for those to attack, but we also see that God builds a hedge around those that he loves. And that hedge is so strong that when Satan wants to break through the hedge, he has to get permission. And so it helps me understand that while Satan may rule the air as the small, little g, God of this world, Almighty God super rules everything and has all power in his hands and everything is under his feet. And so what that does for me as a stumbling, weeping Christian, almost like a little boy who's being chased home from school by the school bully, is that I feel that if I can just get to my house, I'll be okay. You might bully me while I'm trying to run down the street, but if I can just make it to my daddy's house, if I can just get to daddy, I'll turn around and I'll face that thing that I've been running from. It's not that I have so much confidence in myself, but I have all confidence in my father's ability to fight. Even if I'm a wimp, even if I'm a sissy, if I can just get to my daddy, I'm going to be okay. See, that's because my daddy has unlimited strength. My father has at his disposal 10,000 angels. My dad claps his hands and the sea stands still at attention. If I can get to my heavenly father, he can give me anything I need. All I need to do is make it to the arms of my God. And then when I'm at, with my God, I am invincible. When I'm with my father, I can do anything. And like the prodigal son, I say, if I can make it back to my father's house, I will have bread enough to spare. David, who was a very weak man at times, said to God in Psalm 1611, in your presence, Heavenly Father, there is fullness of joy. And Lord, at your right hand, there are eternal pleasures. Friend, there has to be something driving us to get in the presence of God. You see, because as a Christian, we understand that there is security that comes from being in God's presence that other people just don't understand. But on the other hand, when we're in the presence of God, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be conflict. Conflict is a part of life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. But in spite of the conflict, I can be reassured when I am in the presence of God. And though I might face problems even in the presence of God, the power of God is greater than the problem I face. That's why I have to get into my Father's presence. So in our text, Zechariah is talking to us during a time when Israel has come out of Babylonian captivity. 
And he's writing to us about a people who have been away from their home and away from their faith. In modern vernacular, they've been hanging out with heathens. And they're in need of rebuilding their spirituality. In other words, they're basically backslidden people who are stumbling back into the presence of God. And even though they've come back to God, they're still recovering. How many of you know that even when you come back to God, you still have to recover? You know, there are people, they've spent years out in sin. They come to church one weekend, and then they expect everything to be corrected and everything to be okay while, while they still have the residue of 20 years of wickedness and debauchery hanging around. Now, don't get me wrong. Salvation is instantaneous. The minute you ask Jesus into your heart, his blood comes and washes away your sins. But getting your life straightened out isn't always an instantaneous abracadabra repeat after me, and then everything is going to be hunky-dory. Because in reality, when you come back to God, there's going to be restriction, there's going to be some opposition and, and some un untangling that has to be done. Perhaps we need to delete her phone number. Maybe we should delete his Facebook page. Maybe we ought to return what was stolen. Man, you guys are quiet. Maybe we need to ask someone to forgive us. So we're all in the process of being loosed from things that used to hold us so that we might be liberated to do what God would have us to do. So let's look at verse number one. Then he, talking about the guiding angel, showed Zechariah, showed him Joshua, the high priest. Now Joshua is symbolic of all of Israel and particularly the priesthood. And he's standing in the presence of God with the devil at his right hand to oppose him. Can you imagine? They're all there, God, the church, and the devil all hanging out together. You don't think about that, do you? Because you think that if you got in the presence of God, you'd get rid of the presence of the enemy, right? Not so fast, grasshopper. In fact, in the first chapter of Job, we hear a conversation that went on in heaven. Verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you been? Satan said, Going to and fro on the earth, as 1 Peter 5 says, looking for someone to devour and destroy. So that lets us know that even there in the presence of God, there is also the presence of the enemy. And so as a Christian, when you come to church, even when you worship God, it doesn't mean that the enemy is not going to try to bring something to your mind or do something to distract you. There you are trying to praise God, but stress or worry or aggravation is also there trying to distract you from what God is wanting to do in your life. Make no mistake, friends, spiritual warfare also happens in the pews. So Satan was standing at Joshua's right hand to oppose him. Have you ever had opposition? 
You know what I'm talking about? Every time you get ready to do something positive, there's resistance. In fact, in fact, you can determine the will of God by the level of opposition you get from the enemy. If I go and do anything and I don't get any resistance, I know that that's really not the thing that God wants me to do. Listen, the enemy wouldn't be fighting you if God wasn't going to bless you. The very fact that every time you say, I'm going to church, but then at the last minute someone calls and there's some kind of an emergency, or the dog gets loose and you've got to go find him, or the battery goes dead and the truck won't start, it is a sign that God has something special for you. But we need to understand, though, that in midst of the battle, in the midst of this warfare with the enemy, that in fact, that the battle is not ours. See, the problem is so many people try to fight the devil in their own power. And this is particularly difficult for people who aren't consecrated to the point that they have the level of anointing to fight the enemy. Because, okay, let's be honest. It's just you and me, right? There's no one else here. Just, just you and me. Let's be honest today. Because it's very difficult to fight an enemy you just got through sleeping with. It's very difficult. Oh, I'm not going to let you go to sleep. Hey, I, I know you guys are sitting down on me this morning. And, you know, cloudy, I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, that's okay, but I'm not going to let you go to sleep. It's very difficult to hang out with the enemy for two weeks and then try to rebuke him on the third week. It's difficult to do that because the devil knows all of your weak points. He knows where you're vulnerable. The hardest person to fight is someone who knows your weakness. And so you don't want to do hand-to-hand combat and rebuke the devil that you've been playing footsies with. Because they know exactly what to offer you to shut you down. Oh, I know. I know. You start dealing with church people and they try to act like that they can't be shut down. But there are some things, though, that you've been through, some sins, that if they flashed up on this screen... You'd go, whoa, no, 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 no. Let's, let's not look at that. Let's not look at that. I know we try to act big and smile, put a smile on our face, and act like we live on the mountaintop every day, but there are some things that go through your mind that if they were broadcast over the loudspeakers, you'd bury your face in your hands. Me too. Me too. But isn't it amazing how God knows even all of our mess, and yet in his goodness and his mercy, he still has a way of leading us through and loving us. Now, Joshua, symbolic of the prophetic and priestly nation of Israel, is in a dilemma because Satan is standing on his right hand. He's there to oppose him. You know, if I'm going to fight someone, I want to fight someone who doesn't know where to hit me. But the problem with the enemy, he knows your weak spots. I mean, if you notice the enemy, he never offers you things that you don't like. Have you ever noticed that? If you don't drink, he's not going to offer you liquor. If you don't get high, he doesn't offer you a joint. If you're dead, he doesn't offer you sex.
call them like I see them. Satan knows exactly how to make you squirm because he knows how to fight you. And there's a feeling of insecurity when you get into a fight with the devil who knows all about you, and it's frustrating to keep getting punched in the mouth and hit in the head. It's no fun at all. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever gotten exasperated and frustrated and tired because of Satan's attacks, and you threw up your hands and you said, God, what's going on? It seems like whenever I take two steps forward, I get knocked three steps back. Every time I start thinking I'm pulling it together, something splits me apart. God, I cannot win. Would you like to know how to win every time? Would you like to know how to win every time? Well, for $35, I've got a book in the back. How to win every time. And, and, and I'll, I'll be signing them after church for $5 more. <laughs> uh, no, you know better than that. Listen, if you want to win, if you want to win and win every time, the answer is simply do not get in the ring. Don't get in the ring. Now, at the risk of sounding negative, you've got to realize that if you get in the ring with the enemy in your own power, he's going to knock your lights out. He is going to knock your block to kingdom come. If you get in the ring with the enemy, blow for blow, punch for punch, you are not ready for the level of warfare that you're going to be hit with. Because first, he's going to hit you in your finances. Then he's going to uppercut you through your marriage. Then he'll come back and drop kick your emotions, and then he will put a charley horse on your mind. And now you are tied up and tangled up, and you are confused, and after a while, your knees start to buckle, and you go down for the count. But to win, just stay out of the ring. Stay out of the ring, and for good measure... Start throwing a few scriptures across the ropes. While Satan is dancing around like Apollo Creed, tell him something like, the battle's not mine, it belongs to the Lord. Taunt him a little bit. Say, devil, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Tell him I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Tell him, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. And if you don't know any scripture at all, tell him, devil, I hear you knocking, but you can't come in, but say it in the name of Jesus. Whatever you do, you have got to arm yourself with the understanding that you do not get in the ring with the devil. You see, in the book of Jude, we see something like this. The angel Michael is arguing with Satan over the body of Moses. Now, you've got to understand, Michael is not just your ordinary rank-and-file angel. Michael is an archangel. That means he is not a private. He is not a captain. He is not even a general. Michael is the secretary of defense, and he has incredible power. Well, verse 9 says, Yet Michael, in contending with the devil, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but instead said, The Lord rebuke you. Listen, the devil would rather you say anything else other than the Lord rebuke you. 
He would rather you fight him with willpower, with positive thinking, with new age philosophy, and anything else that you want to bring into the ring. By the way, let me ask you a question. How's that been working for you? (laughs) Fighting the devil on your own. Listen, when we're backed up in the corner, we need to say, wait a minute, devil. What am I doing here? This battle isn't mine. It belongs to my God. I'm going to submit my ways to him, and I know that God is going to bring me through. So Joshua is standing for God, and Satan is there to do what he does best, trash talk. Verse 2, and the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. But you see, the enemy tried to ignore the rebuke from the Lord, and he started bringing up issues about Joshua because he knew, remember, he knew Joshua's weaknesses. Because verse 3 says, now Joshua was standing there in front of God clothed with filthy garments. In other words, Satan was saying, This guy, this joker, has no right to be in the position he's in looking how he looks. You see, this is the ammunition that the enemy always uses to try and defeat you. He loves to talk about how you have no right to have any of God's promises. He loves to ridicule you about all your failures until you lose all confidence in yourself. And he brings up things that he knows will intimidate you and make you duck your head and leave the presence of God. But we learned something because, see, Joshua had enough sense to hold out. Sometimes when the enemy attacks you, you don't have to argue. All you need to do is is not give up. Ephesians chapter 6, 13 says, having done all, stand firm. Even if you don't gain ground, at least don't lose ground. Just stand there. Because if you let the devil, he will move you off your spot. If you let the devil, he will wreck your marriage. If you let the devil, he will kill your career. If you let the devil, he will give you a nervous breakdown. But you need to say, in Jesus' name, I'm not going anywhere. I may be filthy, but I'm going to stand. I may be fearful, but I'm going to stand. I may be worried, but I'm going to stand. I may be depressed, but I'm going to stand. I may be broke, but I'm going to stand. I don't know what God is doing in my life, but I'm going to stand right here, devil. The Lord rebuke you. God does not always come when we want him to come, but God always shows up on time. devil said, how can you let Joshua come before you? I mean, seriously. This guy's supposed to be a priest. He's supposed to be a Christian. But look at him. He's got wrinkles all over him. He's got spots everywhere, and he's not even a Dalmatian. He is filthy. No way should he be in your presence. And Joshua didn't say a word. But notice, the Lord did. The Lord had something to say. You know, when when people start talking about you, you don't have to say anything. When they doubt your sincerity, keep your mouth shut. When they make 
fun of your faith, don't utter a word. Because if you start talking, God will stop talking. But if you will shut your mouth, God will do your talking for you. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Is this not a brand that I, myself, almighty God, plucked from the fire? In other words, God is saying, devil, it is none of your business. I'm going to save whoever I want to save. And if he was able to get in my presence, I'm the one who had to bring him. He couldn't come by himself. I knew who he was when I snatched him out of the fire. You know, sometimes when you see someone shouting and you don't understand what they're shouting about, well, if you saw the fire they were in, you'd understand what the shout is all about. When I look back over my shoulder and I see what God pulled me out of with every breath I have, I have got to praise him. You don't know how hot it was in my life. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, I would have been swallowed up. But I want you to know I got out. So I'm praising God today and I'm shouting because I'm out. I'm happy today because I'm out. I'm rejoicing because I'm out. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. If you've never been through anything, you have to learn how to praise God. But if God snatched you out of the fire, if you were going down for the third time, but yet God made a way where there was no way, if you were about to lose your mind, but yet God delivered you, if you were deep into the wrong crowd, but yet God had mercy to set you free, if you could have been nothing but a statistic, but God wrote your name in the land book of life, if you've been living through hell, but God gave you peace in the middle of the storm, nobody has to teach you how to praise God. I don't know about you, but I should have been dead. I should have been lost. I should have split hell wide open. It should have been me. But when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but if I never get the car I want, if I never get the house I want, if I never get the job I want, hallelujah, I am saved and I give God praise for saving my sinful soul. Now, I know. I know some of the people that talk about you are lying. They have their own agendas, they have their own motives, and they're lying about you. But I also know that everything that's been said about you is not a lie. And me too. Because let's be honest. Some of that stuff we really did do. Have you ever got yourself in a mess and you know it was your fault, but in God's mercy, he helped you anyway? You've never seen a praise until you see someone guilty praise. I want you to know I was guilty. I was on death row, dead man walking, just a few hours from execution. But then I got a knock on my door and there stood Jesus Christ. He said, Mike, I'm going to take your place. And I want you to know 2,000 years ago, he was my substitute. 
And when you see me praising, I'm not praising him because I was innocent. I'm praising him because I was dead dog guilty. I'm praising him because what the devil said about me was true. And in spite of being true, God in his love and mercy delivered me. To those of us who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, the next time the devil tries to bring up your past, don't argue with the enemy, but tell him, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. If you're sick of his lies, messing with your family, start laying hands on your kids and say, the Lord rebuke you, devil. Lay hands on your checkbook and say, the Lord rebuke you. Lay hands on your body and say, the Lord rebuke you because God bought me, he delivered me, and my God has set me free. To God be the glory. Well, I'm finished preaching, but I've got a little teaching to do. What I want you to see in this text is the far-reaching power of God's amazing grace. You see, by God's grace, we are justified, justified, whereby God acquits the guilty and causes them to escape judgment. Though the enemy's accusation is accurate, God's judicial authority is so superior that he has the power to throw the case out of court in spite of the evidence. So through grace, Joshua's guilt was justified in the first two verses of our text by God dismissing the accuser, Satan, and throwing him out of the court. But then it goes further. Look at verse 4. God spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. God says to guilty Joshua, I have delivered you from the clutches of your enemy, but now I'm going to change your clothing until what they said about you ceases to be true. God justified me in the face of the enemy. He rebuked the devil in spite of my guilt. But then God did not leave me guilty in his presence because God sanctified me. Now, sanctification is to separate from. And God separated me from the sin that was on me. See, the reason this is important is Jesus didn't die just so the guilty could go free. See, I, I, I don't want to be saved and still be guilty because then I'm standing in his presence with the filth from my past contaminating my future. I want to get this filthy garment off of me. I want to get rid of these dirty rags. So first, Jesus rebukes the accusation, but then he rebukes the accuracy of the accusation. Say I'm a murderer, guilty, and I'm standing in God's presence. Satan says, how can you let this murderer stand in your presence? God says, I save who I want to save because I'm God. Okay, so I'm saved, but I'm still a murderer. But you see, God can go back into my past. 
Only God can go back into my past and erase that thing that brings me to the point where I am no longer what I was before. God is merciful to our unrighteousness and remembers our sins no more. Man may remember it. Your wife may remember it. Your sixth grade teacher may remember it. But God does not remember who you used to be. Hallelujah. God says, verse 4, take the filthy rags off of him. And that is a miracle in itself, but that's not all. And to him, he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I am going to clothe you in rich robes. That is so much better than Starla getting a new pair of shoes and an outfit. God justified Joshua by rebuking the devil. And he sanctified him by removing his old garment. And then like Romans 8.30 says, to those whom God justified, he also glorified. By taking that thing that you and I couldn't earn, that we certainly don't deserve, and giving us his brand new spotless garment to put on our shoulders. Friend, I want you to know God has a whole new garment for you to wear that you will never get until you allow him to remove your old garment. And today God is saying, while you've been out doing whatever it is that you do, look what I had for you. I have been waiting on you to finally allow me to take over your life so I can give you the very best because you have been settling For so much less. And when you get in the presence of God, He will strip you out of your past. And that's when He will equip you and clothe you for your destiny. Bow your heads with me, if you would. Friend, if you could see the outfit that God has prepared for you, you would run, you would run away from what you're doing and fall into his arms. Because friend, listen, let's be honest. There's no need to rebuke the devil if you're going to leave here in your dirty garments. If you're going to take them home with you, there's no need in rebuking the evil one. But you see, Jesus died on the cross, so you don't have to. He loved you enough that he was willing to give up his life, so you didn't have to continue wearing the sinful garments that you have. And so if you're here today and you need forgiveness of sin. You know there are things in your life that are not pleasing to him, and you need God's forgiveness in your life and put on brand new robe. Would you raise your hand? You have things that you need forgiveness for. 